Okay. Hi, this is Brian Panish, and we're being joined here today by John Taylor, a world-renowned trial lawyer based in Los Angeles. John attended the University of Ohio in Athens, Ohio, where he's a member of the uh, intercollegiate hockey team. He then returned back to his native California, attended McGeorge Law School, and has been practicing law now, I believe, for over 40 years and has some of the, obtained some of the landmark verdicts and settlements in the state of California throughout his career. So, John, thanks for being here. It's great to have you on the air today. Thanks, Brian, for having me. John, I want to get right to it, and I would like to ask you, for young lawyers listening to this that want to be a trial lawyer, I know you've tried over 200 jury trials. You've had a lot of experience in the courtroom. Things have changed today. How would you advise a young attorney that wants to be a trial lawyer to do it? What do they do? What are the options they have? Well, I think a couple things is when you go to court for whatever purpose, whether it's to on a law in motion matter, um, you're down in the courthouse, is to stick your head into a courtroom and almost no, it doesn't matter what the case is, it's to watch even cases you know being tried so that you're just getting exposed to trials and you sort of see how all the, the work you do during discovery or getting a case ready to go to trial, what it really means or what it looks like when you when you go to court. And after that, I think it's finding the opportunity and the people that will support you to give you the, the option to, to try a case. And then you got to go try cases and you're going to win some and you're going to, you're going to lose, you're going to lose a lot. Well, what about get out there and do it? I, my, I believe if my recollection serves me right, that you worked at a period of time in your career as a public defender. Is that right? I worked briefly in law school at the Sacramento uh, Public Defender's Office. And at that time, as a law student, you could try cases as long as there was a, a lawyer in the courtroom with you. And I was very fortunate in law school to get a job first in a clinic with the Public Defender's Office and then a summer job that lasted through my last year of law school. And during the time, I probably made close to a thousand I mean, that seems impossible, but a thousand speaking appearances um, in court as a law student where there was a lawyer in the court. Now, in doing that, that means everything from, you know, arraignments to sentencing hearings, but also uh, preliminary you know, hearings, things like where preliminary you hearings. Uh, and in juvenile court, there were entire trials. I did at, at least a dozen uh, fully contested uh, juvenile court trials that so, would be tried to a judge or a referee alone. So what I like to say is the more experience you get, the better. Some people disagree on this. I don't think it's a bad thing for someone to go to the, whether it be the district attorney, the public defender, the city attorney, to getting that in-court experience and still wanting to be a civil attorney. What are your thoughts about that? I totally agree with you. I think that you've got to get comfortable uh, on your feet talking in front of a judge and trying to persuade somebody, whether it's trying to persuade the, the judge or ultimately the jury, but you got to get some sort of experience. I think that there's a window of time that you've got to move on from uh, being either in the DA's office or the public defender's office into civil law, because there's going to be some stuff that just does not translate. But I think having the ability to say that you spent X amount of time making appearances um, in court that when it comes to 
the civil side of it, it should seem relatively simple in a lot of ways. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I, I think that is, experience is invaluable. And the way the practice is today, a lot of the young lawyers just don't have the opportunities, whether it's because the clients don't want them to be in court or the law firm can't take that chance. But really, I want to talk now about some areas of your practice, John. And I know you and your partner, David Ring, have been very involved in sexual abuse cases, primarily for minors, but not just for minors, involving schools and camps and government entities. What is it today about today's climate that seems to be bringing out in the news more and more of these cases? I think that the the victims are more courageous. Uh, and I, I, I know that sounds um, exaggerated or hyperbolic, hyperbolic, but it's true. I think that the, the, the victims, you know, male or female are brave enough to come forward. And likewise, I think that the, there's enough exposure that potential that jurors have to both, I mean, just sex abuse and sexual assault cases that they're more willing to listen so that the subject matter itself doesn't turn somebody off so much that they um, they just don't want to be involved in those cases, and also the idea that the victim, all a lot of the stereotypical things, whether the victim might have been drinking, the victim might have been dressed provocatively, the the, the victim, you know, consented to the extent that they weren't forced, um, physically forced to do something sexually that jurors, jurors get that now, and they're willing to, to entertain those claims do, in a do, big way. Do, and, do you think somebody, and I've had this debate with others, let's say a female, it's a 17-year-old high school student, can they, can they consent and have sexual relations with a teacher or an adult at that age? No. And the, 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 the age in consent in California is 18, and so the law is very protective in in California about what can be used to argue um, the the compliance of the minor with the adult perpetrator, and it's excluded. Meaning that, and a lot of people have the misconception that the the minor has to be physically forced in some fashion, or that if the minor complies, consents, claims are in love with the perpetrator. Um, pursues the relationship past the time of when they were a minor that somehow that that is all discoverable and it's not I mean if you're if you're a minor you're the law says legally it's impossible for you to consent and you cannot the defense cannot use consent um, as either a, a comparative fault factor in determining liability nor can consent be brought in as a a compromising issue and determining damages. The fact that a defendant might many times we face the argument, the defense wants to argue, well, the, the, the minor, the, the kid was not forced, physically forced to do that. And we ought to be able to argue that to the jury. And it's, it does not matter. Consent to the extent that it means that the minor is not physically forced, that consent cannot be used for either liability or damage purposes. Okay. So, what I've also noticed, and you don't read about every settlement, but you do see settlements with public entities, but I, I noticed that juries, at least on my observation, 
seem to be giving much larger verdicts in these type of cases. Would you agree with that? And if so, why, why do you think that's true? And one other point I'd like to talk about one of excuse me, is, is the percentage of fault. It, it, it used to be at least my experience that the perpetrator, the person that does the act usually gets a much higher percentage than the school district whoever's employer employer is. I again see that it seems to me that the perpetrator's percent of fault is going down and the employer uh, entity that supervises him or hired him, theirs is going up. So it seems that the verdicts are going up and the percentage on the perpetrators are going down and the people that are employing them or supervising seem to be getting held more accountable. Tell, let, talk, could you talk about that? I think that I think the thing that we always say is that demographically, sexual assault and sexual abuse cases cut across uh, all demographics. So it seems not to matter where the case is filed in terms of venue, whether it's considered a really conservative venue, like you know Vista in North County, San Diego, to you know the more conservative. Um, uh, districts here and courthouses here in Los Angeles County, that it doesn't seem to matter. Jurors get it, and jurors will compensate uh, the plaintiffs on righteous cases. You're still going to have lower numbers in the more conservative jur conservative jurisdictions, but ordinarily this type of case, no matter what the the makeup of the jury is, they're much more receptive to it because when you do the jury selection process the number of people who have, you know, sexual incidents that they're, they're going to talk about, it's impossible really to get everybody off of the juror. Everybody's initial, a lot of times initial exposure to, to something sexual is some family member that's been inappropriate, some other kid down the block, so that this type of landscape is not completely foreign to somebody. It's just now finally you know, people being comfortable to talk about it. I think overall, now that people appreciate, and that's probably beginning with the, the clergy abuse cases, and then through the continuing ongoing sexual assault cases that we're aware of now, that the, the compensation numbers are larger. And I think it's that people appreciate the extent of how somebody's damaged. It used to be that when we had just minor kids who had been abused, you'd project, here's what is going to happen to them as they go through their relationships and as they go through their life. You need to have a therapist talk about that. And then as we've represented adult survivors of, you know, childhood abuse, the things that the therapist said were going to happen to the kid happened, did in fact happen to the adult. So there's all sorts of trust relationship issues, a lot of times drug and alcohol um, abuse and, and uh, misuse. And so those things prove to be true. So I, I think that, the, that maybe the experts' vocabulary for expressing those damages are better. And I think the jury's ability maybe to understand them and accept them is better so that they are more willing to you know, adequately compensate somebody and fully compensate somebody as opposed to throwing some nominal amount at the, at the case. Do you, do you think I also think on the percentage, the percentage of fault between the, the perpetrator and whomever the, the, it might be the employer. So whether it's the school, the after school program, 
the Boy Scouts, the soccer program, the volleyball summer program, whatever it might be, where the the adult perpetrator is put in contact with the with the the minor, that the especially with the schools that the jury get the idea that the 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 school the organization is supposed to safeguard the minor, and so if the school fails to do its job and ignores the red flags that are invariably there with with most of the the perpetrators that the jury gets the idea that if the school brings the dog or allows somebody to bring the dog that bites into the school and watches the dog do something that's that's um, hostile and then does nothing to get the the dog back out of the school that when the dog now bites somebody the the school is going to bear maybe a more than 50% share of the responsibility for not having prevented the the uh, interaction with the perpetrator to start with. Do you think that the whole ordeal with the Catholic Church and things coming to light has put more of a shadow on the or a spotlight on these cases and made jurors more uh, believing that these things are going on? Yeah, completely, totally. I think that I think that probably the initial clergy abuse cases on that ma- it took it to maybe be on that magnitude that somebody reading about it in the paper wouldn't either minimize the extent of the problem or the the, the issue or the problems that a victim would would have. I think that not only did you learn more from the news coverage of it, you learned more than from movies that were made that involved either that issue or other issues of, of child abuse so that people are just more, I think they're, as, I, as we keep saying, I mean, jurors get it. They're, 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 they're versatile and versed in, in the, the, the language and the vocabulary of the abuse, and they understand a lot of the nuances of the, of the abuse. In, in and in more all, difficult cases, not just not just the classic, you know, older man, teenage, younger girl, but you know, older men with 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 teenage boys, so that there's much more sort of nuanced appreciation by the jurors of uh, the damage that that happens in those situations. What about this? Uh, the Me Too movement. I mean, how does that? in your opinion, affect these sexual abuse cases? I think the same thing. It's, it's a, it, it, the exposure and uh, the people seeing on the news that men in power for the most part, men as opposed to women, but that men who hold some sort of power advantage over a female, either in the workplace, mostly in the workplace, that it's, how it can it be abused and things that were sort of accepted as well it's okay if the you know my boss makes comments to me about you know what i'm wearing as a as a younger female employee or that my, my boss you know puts his hands on my shoulder when when you know he comes by my office that things that were sort of accepted in the past as being well that's just normal work environment type of activity i think that People now again are more aware of that. It's more it's more nuanced. That it doesn't have to be just flat out somebody grabbing you. That there's a lot of different ways in which men can 
either exploit or um, abuse people uh, in a sexual fashion. So I think that, again, it makes it more comfortable for the victim to talk out and get, and, and there isn't quite the stigma of, of that. And so I think that it's better in that way. You know, we're spending a lot of time on this topic, but it's really important in today's society. So I want to ask you a few more questions on that. When you're trying, and I know sure, you, sure. Try, you try a lot of these cases, are you allowed to, or does it co- commonly occur where you're doing individual voir dire with jurors in private, kind of like would occur maybe in a, in a death penalty trial? I think it depending on the judge, but yeah, I mean, the answer is yes. And we use questionnaires in, in, in all the cases, the judges have always allowed that. And if the, the surprising thing or the number of people who are quite candid and willing to talk about like really kind of horrific sexual things that have happened to them as, as kids in the presence of other people, which again tells me that this that the either the stigma embarrassment whatever of the of of the assault has changed from you know over the years but i would say that almost all those cases we spend you know the 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 jury selection period takes um several days and most of that is probably doing individual jurors you know at a time anybody on the questionnaire who has indicated that they've had uh they've been a victim or a family member or close friend has been molested or a victim of some sort of sexual assault. We do those people one at a time. Well, and I think, you know, judges commonly in California prior to the new law were very hesitant to give questionnaires because they thought they made the the jury selection last longer. And they always say there's nothing special about this case, but I guess in a sexual uh, abuse case, and due to the private nature, the judges are, appear to be, based on your experience, more willing to give written juror questionnaires? Well, and especially ones that are tailored to, that have a whole series of questions that would be unique to the, the issues of the, the type of abuse, the um, uh, location, both everything from the physical location, the relationship of the, the, perp and the, the perpetrator and the, and the victim. And so in the, in the cases, you know, I always think that the jury selection period is going to take a, a, you know, a pretty long period of time, but the actual full questioning of the panel can be as little as, you know, a couple hours because 80% of the people, 50% of the, the crowd that you're, you're questioning to start off with, you probably will have talked to them individually before you even, you know, get them back into the, the general, um, uh, voir dire group to question everybody about the, the general things. But yeah, judges are judges are willing and are, and are sympathetic. I've not met a judge yet who's been overly constricted on time in questioning the jurors. Have you ever come across a judge that has a rep? Have you come across a judge that has a reputation of limiting voir dire in a sexual abuse case, and they've kind of let, laxed or let up the reins on the voir dire? in the sexual abuse case? I was very surprised at, at um, trying a case um, a, a couple of years ago where the judge was, you know, pretty experienced both by my own um, prior experience years ago and trying a case in front of him and then just by reputation. And uh, the judge was more willing to, you know, allow the, the question to go forward on the, on the 
the sex stuff. But if it was and a regular it's, it's, case, it makes sense. Regular case, though, they, that judge would be more restrictive. But it was your experience in that kind of sexual abuse case. They kind of lightened up a little bit. Completely, and give you more time. And it's it's really, you know, when you see the people talk. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people you'll lose, as we say, we'll lose a lot of people right off the questionnaire. And as you know, and anybody, you know, tries a lot of cases and use questionnaires, you're going to lose people right off the questionnaire or they'll say something. And a lot of time it's not the, the potential juror manipulating the questionnaire to, to get off of the, um, to get off of the, the, the trial. But what we'll find, I mean, the people who, they will just flat out state, I cannot be a juror in this type of case. I can't. And, and most of the time it's because, you know, they're a victim Personal or they know experience. a victim. Well, yep. All right. So yep. what are some of the common themes that are used in the trial of cases such as sexual abuse where there's either, as you said, the YMCA, the after school program, the school, the Girl Scouts? What are the themes that seem to, res- to resonate with jurors that have come back with substantial verdicts in these cases? I think that it's the, the, all the things that you would expect. I mean, these are places that, especially the schools, that the kids and the families, you really don't have a choice to whether you're going to go or not. And that's why there's the law extends, I mean, various exposures and looks, you know, put some immunities aside because the attendance of the school is mandatory. And so once your child is in the, the, at the school for the eight hours that the kid is going to be there, the school stands in the shoes of the parents. And so the safety of the, the kid and the supervision of the, of the child is always, you know, I mean, the big thing that, that all of us, and it's something that resonates and with all adults get it, whether they have kids or not, is that once you drop your kid off at the program, once you drop your kid off at school, that that no matter what else goes on, I mean, we always start with, if you'd agree, the primary thing that happens is that the child goes home okay. It doesn't, you know, there should be education, there should be sports camp, there should be a great time going hiking with the with the scouts, but at the end of the 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 day, the program, whatever, the kid could should come home, you know, in in good shape Unscathed. and not having been not having yeah not having been been touched by somebody so unscarred right of course so when so you're those, arguing those things case, you know okay so let's take it to the final argument you're arguing a case that you know generally speaking in this kind of case let me ask you this first most of the medical expenses for the therapist as such is not going to be a lot are you going to put on that evidence let's say it's twenty thousand dollars are you going to put that on as evidence in in your case, or are you going to waive that? How are you going to handle that? It depends. I think a lot of times you put it on because I think the jury is 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 going to expect. Okay, you're, the 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 kid or the person's now been in therapy for a period of time. That usually the therapist, they're the um, uh, you're going to put on a, a an expert who talks about the future care the person needs and. It's going to be a lifelong, you know, uh, therapy program, and those numbers are going to be relatively modest when con- compared to the, you know, uh, uh, the care of somebody who's got constant, ongoing um, uh, future care costs. So, I mean, like there'll be several hundred thousand dollars only, and we absolutely put those those in. 
but the the other the general damages arguments are the you know i mean it's it's a look at what the person had and what was taken from them and really you've in, especially with kids where i mean they they've taken innocence they've taken their naivete they're taken sadly their ability to trust and not just trust it's trust not just men it's trust in any type of relationship whether it's somebody they work for somebody who they're going to become friends with and it's not something that's going to end with you know some brief period of therapy it's something that and it's for you know kids where they are sexually naive or inexperienced or lack any sophisticated experience to have some of their first sexual experience be ex you know very extreme uh, molestation or, or sexual acts that's it's 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 horrific and it's, the, the damage is horrific well listen John thanks for all the great work you and your firm do in helping the victims and getting this out in the public and hopefully making it better I know you guys are doing a, a big push to make things better for everyone. I wanted to talk to you about your experience in police misconduct cases. So I'd ask if you could come back another time and we'll do that again. And I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to spend the time here with our listeners. Thank you very Would much. Would love to do it again. Thanks, I'm Brian. Looking forward to it. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye.